Time now for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Let's talk about some gas prices, shall we? Because, Vaughn, it's hard to ignore that. And I, I thought we knew that we were being gouged at the pump. Uh, it's been a long time since John Horgan announced that he had found the proof that uh, we were being gouged at the pump way back in oh, 2019. Remember that year? No. <laughs> in the before times, <laughs> right. before the pandemic. Horgan ordered a, an inquiry by the BC Utilities Commission. They spent like a million bucks on it. They uh, sweated the executives of the oil and gas companies and the wholesalers and the retailers. And they came out with a report. And Horgan said, you look at that report, and you'll see we finally found proof of gouging. So this is three years ago. And the proof was an unexplained markup of 13 cents a liter on price at the pump in and around Metro Vancouver. So that's after you stripped out all the other things, including all the taxes and everything else, you were left with the wholesale price and in there, 13 cents difference in the price at the pump, all other things taken out, exchange rates, everything between Price gasoline prices in southwestern British Columbia, so Vancouver, Victoria, Metro Vancouver, and Seattle area, so Pacific Northwest. Right. It was right there. Yeah. And Horgan, by George, he wasn't going to stand for that. He's on the side <laughs> of the people, right? So he promised action. Well, it's been three years, and I don't know if the listener drops by the gasoline station this morning if you'll think that the government did something about gouging because – what, prices are what gone back high up or almost oh, higher than crazy. ever. Yes, two thirty three. The price at the pump when John Horgan ordered this inquiry, by the way, was a dollar fifty four cents. No. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> we thought that was appalling. That price. Uh, fond memories. Um, what did he actually do? Well, uh, armed with those findings, the Horgan government brought in legislation to guarantee transparency and accountability in gasoline pricing. And they appointed the same body, independent, that did the report, the BC Utilities Commission, keep an eye on it and blow the whistle on it. Um, I've seen a couple of reports since then from the Utilities Commission. I think they've tried to do their job, but getting to the bottom of gasoline prices and all the regulatory issues and doing something about it, um, it's not very productive. Uh, government regulation hasn't really worked that well elsewhere in Canada. So, you know, it's uh, like some other John Horgan exercises, great talk, much wind, no action. And so nothing has happened as a result of that. We're just going to forget that? Like we looked into it well, and that's it? I mean, Put it on a could, shelf? The, the listener could uh, think back to what the BC Utilities Commission found and found that uh, proof positive that in addition to taxes and exchange rates and everything else, um, gasoline prices are cheaper <laughs> south of the border. Uh, and didn't the federal government just make it easier for you to cross the border? I mean, sure I, seriously, uh, cross-border shopping is the fastest solution on this. The, the, the commission in its review was forbidden by the government to really investigate the impact of provincial regulation and taxes. Like, that's one of the biggest ticket items in the price. They weren't allowed to do that. Uh, the commission also suggested that if the government wanted to make itself useful, provincial government, they could uh, 
agree to support the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion in exchange for the federal government agreeing that when the line is completed, it would deliver more refined gasoline to Vancouver. So that pipeline is being built mostly to export uh, gasoline overseas. But uh, the commission said, you know, if we had more supply in and around Vancouver, uh, prices would probably come down. Uh, The government didn't go for that because they're opposed to TMX. But actually, that's one of the things John Horgan could have done that might have made a difference. Hmm. Okay, so no sign of that happening. Um, And also, we're still talking about pipelines. Yes, yes. So uh, there's a protest today, and I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to quote the headline on the uh, notice we got uh, yesterday, which is a protest today at the, quote, so-called British Columbia legislature. Well, that's a new one. I'm not. I've not seen our le- – I've heard, I've heard our legislature referred to as many things, some of them not suitable for a radio audience, but I've n- never seen it referred to as so-called. But these are the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en people in northern British Columbia who are opposed to construction of the coastal gas link pipeline. So that's a natural gas pipeline that will bring natural gas to the liquefied natural gas terminal now under construction at Kitimat. So it's central to that project because that's where the natural gas is going to come from. Uh, The chiefs are opposed. They have been opposed for a long time. And one of the things they're going to be pointing out today is that, hmm, two years ago, the federal and provincial government signed a memorandum of understanding with them in which those two levels of government promised to recognize Aboriginal rights and title of the Wet'suwet'en people. They're saying the governments haven't done that, and they're saying worse, that the company that's building the pipeline is getting ready to drill under a river that is both uh, a a source of drinkable water for the Wet'suwet'en people and sacred as well. So they are going to tell us what they're going to do next today. Simi, um, this protest is... Again, you may remember in the before times uh, that they surrounded, the protesters surrounded the legislature. The legislature was shut down. That's where that agreement came from. Two members of the current NDP cabinet, Murray Rankin and Nathan Collin, were paid a lot of money by the provincial government to try to sort that out. Uh, They haven't succeeded. Uh, Well, they stopped uh, being paid to do it when they became cabinet ministers. Um, This thing has resisted solution and the pipeline report, so if you go on the website for the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline, you'll see the project, and you get an update on construction every month. So the line is 70% completed, going from the Fort St. John area in the northeast to Kitimat. But there's a gap. There is a 77-kilometer gap in the pipeline surrounding the area where the Wet'suwet'en have set up a protest encampment. There is no pipe laid there at all. There's been some grading. There is a construction camp. Uh, There is work being done. But where some sections of the line are completed and ready to go, that section is still a gap. Um, You can't build a natural gas pipeline with a 77-kilometer long gap in the middle of it, Simi. This thing has resisted resolution for a long time. When you ask the government... They say they're working on it, but I think today's protest at the so-called legislature suggests that 
They haven't made nearly enough progress yet. And not only that, now we have this NDP leadership campaign where you've got the two contenders on on quite different sides here. Yeah, I mean, David Eby is part of the government that supports construction of the pipeline and supports LNG, supports natural gas development. Anjali Apadurai, I mean, she's picked a long list of issues on which she disagrees with the provincial government. Uh, She supports the Wet'suwet'en on this. She's opposed to the use of the RCMP to clear the protests up there. She's opposed to natural gas development with fracking. Uh, She thinks we should be phasing out the fossil fuel industry, not building more pipelines. So another deep division in the NDP leadership race. Yeah, there seem to be more of those cropping up, I would see, like lately. Simi, I've gone over her many statements on this. I mean, she describes the government in interviews as a complete failure. Um, I've covered elections where the opposition party wasn't this harsh in its criticisms of the government. It's made this um, race, I feel... A lot more interesting because usually oh, there's man. maybe this, is, this was supposed to be a cakewalk right? for a nation. Instead, it's one of the most interesting leadership races we've had. Because usually with leadership races, you tell us, Vaughn, like it's it's difficult because you don't want them to get too nasty with yeah. each other because they're still supposed to protect the party. But that doesn't seem to be happening here. Well, that's true, Simeon. And normally the party unites after a leadership race. You know, Christy Clark beat Kevin Falcon for the leadership and turned around and made him deputy premier and finance minister. And you know. Adrian Dix defeated Mike Farnworth and gave him a position. I mean, that's what you do. You unite the party afterward. I I don't know how you'd unite these two candidates. I mean, as I said, they're farther apart on some issues like natural gas, old growth logging, than are the New Democrats and the B.C. Liberals. She's farther out and opposed to the government on some of those issues than the Liberals are. Okay, then one more reason why this race is so fascinating. What are the next steps, by the way? Like, what, what has well, to happen now? Well, they haven't approved her as a candidate yet, the NDP. So she is not an official candidate. EB is, so they could turn her down. Uh, they are vetting the membership list at the NDP headquarters. So all these new members that were signed up, they could disallow some of those. But if she's approved as a candidate, we'll find that out next week. Then we go to debates. Those should be lively. Uh, Then we go to voting in mid-November, and the result will be announced December the 3rd. Circle that date on your calendar. Because that's coming along pretty fast now. Now, if she's disallowed as a candidate, and I don't know whether that's what they'll do, although I think some of them are trying to, then there's another woman out there, uh, an Indigenous woman, uh, Smiley, who's talked about running, no sign that she's really entered or raised the $40,000 you need to enter. Abadurai does have the money. Right. Uh, if there are no candidates at the end of the day uh, by, say, next week, then the party could simply declare EB leader by acclamation. So if they disallow Abadurai, and that wouldn't be done without consequences, I suggest, um, we might still get a coronation. Uh, we should know uh, next week. All right. More reason to keep in touch. Thanks, Vaughn. Okay. Bye-bye.